So we're in the book of Zechariah. In the book of Zechariah, we have seen that God has, through his infinite wisdom, given us the, what we know to be from the time of the Babylonian captivity all the way into what we know to be the end times under Antichrist. He's covered all the millennial kingdoms, all the kingdoms that were part of the world-dominating uh, Gentile ministries, right from Babylon right all the way through to the, the last uh, kingdom of Antichrist. And chapters 12 through 14 are the times in Jewish history under Antichrist. They're yet to come. Antichrist has not come on the scene, but one day there will be a person, and he will be a, a, a world ruler who will try then to dominate the entire world. And Zechariah jumps right into that in chapter 12, and he continues. He said, one day, Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling. Now, this is so interesting, Zechariah 12, and that's in verse 2. I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. Now, Jerusalem has always been a cup of trembling. There has always been a time when Jerusalem was always under attack. The, the longest peace period that... Uh, Jerusalem had was for the scope of about 100 years between David and Solomon. Other than that, it was continually and still is continually under attack. So how can we know this is the time of Antichrist? Because in the middle of this, he says, I will then return. Messiah will then return to earth. So we know that Messiah comes at the end of what we know to be the great tribulation period to earth. But Zechariah skips all that. We say, well, how can we know this then? Well, because we have progressive revelation in the scriptures. And, you know, I, I'm always amazed. You know, in the book of Peter, for example, Peter said the Old Testament prophets were writing about Messiah, he said, and they really didn't understand completely what they were saying, and they were writing about the person that was in them. It's amazing, amazing passages of scripture. So until we have progressive revelation, we're not going to know many of what takes place in the Old Testament. The Old Testament saints, they just, they just worshiped God and acted accordingly. They knew God said to bring a sacrifice, they brought a sacrifice. They knew God would provide a Messiah, they understood that, they brought their sacrifice and believed God's word. That was it. That's the best they could do. They never saw the end of what we see. And sometimes I think we get on our high horse. What was wrong with those Jews anyway? Well, you would have been worse if you were there. You, you just you're trying to take this little bit of information and build something with it was most difficult. But when we get to the New Testament now, this is open to us a, a little more, a little more, a little more until we get to the book of the Revelation. So we're looking at Antichrist. We spent some time to show you who he was last time we were together. He is the little horn in the book of Daniel. He's the one that would come on the scene. Jesus mentioned the abomination that make it desolate. He's the one coming on the scene. Uh, he's the one that will uh, fight against three nations, overcome them, and then he'll head a ten-nation federation. He's the legs of, of iron and clay from Nebuchadnezzar's uh, image. He's the last feast of Daniel's uh, image. Uh, he's the little horn that says great swelling things. He's the one that will have power 
but not his own power, the scriptures tell us from Daniel. And then when we get into the book of the Revelation in chapter 12, we see that. That Antichrist is going to be indwelt by Satan himself. And Satan will give him power to live for 42 months, three and a half year period of time. So what we have in the book of Zechariah, uh, when the nation of Israel is going to be attacked, that will be in the last half of the great tribulation period. The last three and a half years of the tribulation period is when all this takes place from Zechariah. Messiah is going to come following that. But right at the crucible, right at the last minute of the great tribulation period is when Jerusalem will be uh, attacked by Antichrist. And at that time is when Messiah will come down and save Jerusalem. We know this from our New Testament scriptures to be the battle of Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon. Our valley of Megiddo. There's a, two mountain ranges that run on the side of Megiddo. And in the middle of that mountain range, several miles wide, 40 to 50 miles long, is a plain called the Plain of, Ar of Megiddo. Um, Napoleon stood there and said, what a place for a battle. He didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> but he said, as a human general, what a place for a battle. And that's where the greatest battle... Now, let me clarify this, please. It's not much of a battle. Because God comes and squashes them. Such a squash you won't believe. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But this is the last day. This is the battle of Armageddon. And so Jerusalem's been surrounded by troops. Now, not only is it Jerusalem, the entire Middle East, the entire land of Israel is surrounded. Apparently, there's troops down in the south, the south of what we know to be the Dead Sea. There's troops all along. So the nations now have come to attack Israel under the leadership of Antichrist. They've come to attack and to finalize Israel. Now, why is that? Because Satan knows his time is short, and he's got to stop Messiah from returning to earth in order to rule and reign. That's his plan all along. He's got to stop him. So the nations of the world gather there to stop Messiah. They're going to, to destroy Jerusalem. They're going to destroy Israel, and they're going to stop Messiah from coming back. It's kind of interesting. On a side note, that's Islam's plan, to push Israel into the sea, to destroy the nation of Israel. And that's what's going to happen at this time. Messiah will return, but not before there's a giant attack and he comes to save his people. Now, in order to see this, we have to look at the New Testament again. I'll let you read through the book of Zechariah, but let's go back to the New Testament for a moment. Head with me to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. Now, please understand... There are groups of people who only spiritualize this. Good Christian people, I would call them, but they spiritualize this. They do not take this as a literal means. They try to spiritualize it. As far as I am concerned, it is completely, wholly, absolutely uh, true. And it's physical and it's literal. Everything that is spoken here will actually happen, as far as I am concerned. But just be aware, there are groups that say this will not happen. This is a spiritual thing. 
okay? We're in the book of the Revelation, chapter 14. Look at verse, uh, uh, well, go ahead with me right to verse uh, 14, if you would. This is a vision of Armageddon, the Armageddon to come. Remember, the, uh, John receives all kinds of visions here. And they're not always necessarily uh, in chronological order. And this is one of them. This, this uh, really does not take place till chapter 19. But in chapter 14, he, he gives us a look at this vision. Look, if you would, please, at, at verse 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud uh, one sat like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. So there is a, an angel, as we'll see. And this angelic being is this figure of judgment that's to come. A judgment to come upon the people that invade Israel. And you'll see that as we continue on. And another angel come out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud. Thrust in thy sickle and reap. For the time has come for thee to reap of the harvest. Of the, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. You get that picture of a sickle? What a dreadful thing. A sigh, a sickle. Um, one, of my, one of my boys was in um, Pensacola, Florida, and he and another guy were working in a field, and they were working with these sickles in size, and they were cutting brush. And um, what happened is the one kid swung it, and his hand was so sweaty that he let go of this sickle and went flying at my son, and he put his hands up and cut himself wide open. It was kind of dreadful. But a sickle is something that cuts grass or stalks of some kind. And that's exactly what the angel saying, go, go in to the earth and cut. Continue on, please, in verse 16. And he, sat, and he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle to the earth, and the earth was reaped. So you get this picture. He's giving us a vis visual picture of what's going to happen during these last days. Now, is it a literal sickle? No, he's giving us a vision of God's judgment that's coming. Here's a sickle coming in and reaping the earth. It, it starts to get your, the hair on the back of your head rising up a little bit. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire and cried with a loud cry unto him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vines of the earth, for her grapes are... Full, fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. This is the time that we know to be the, uh, the, uh, the Lord's day, or the day of the Lord, rather, not the Lord's day, the day of the Lord. This is the time of judgment. This is exactly what Joel was writing about. This is what the Old Testament prophets talked about. This is what the New Testament writers are coming. The day of the Lord, a, a, a judgment time, a judgment to come upon the earth, and this is it. And notice what he says. It's the winepress of the wrath of God. Pick it up in verse 20. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto a horse's bridle, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Remember a... A furlong is 600 feet, so we have uh, approximately, approximately, the approximate width and length of the Valley of Megiddo. Now, some people think 
And, and again, you, it depends on who you're reading. This will be a flow of blood down in the valley. This will be a flow, and, and up to the horse's bridle, so somewhere around four feet. Some people think it's a flow of blood, like a river, if you would, of blood. I, I'm not sure about that. I think it's more of a spattering, a spattering. You get a fly on your shirt. Well, that's not flies, awful thing. Something's on your shirt. Let's say a mosquito, and you, and you slap them. What happens? It spatters. Stuff spatters. When our Lord comes down and he speaks judgment unto these people, it's going to be, seemingly, it's going to be as if a, a fly was squashed and blood just spatters everywhere. The height of a, the height of a uh, horse's bridle. Incredible, incredible thought. So this is that day of God's vengeance. It's a day of God's wrath. Turn with me now to chapter 16. Chapter 16. Again, another, uh, um, another view of this, and we see this in chapter 16 and in verse 13. Uh, he, this is not the battle, but it's a picture of the battle. We're in chapter 16. Look at verse 13. And I saw three unclean frogs come out, uh, three unclean spirits, let me clear that up, like frogs. So these were not literal frogs. Uh, these were spirits, uh, demons, if you would. They're unclean demons. And they're like frogs. They come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So this is the triunity of wickedness. Remember, the Antichrist is going to set up a, uh, an image in the temple. And, he's, and it's going to be under Satan, under this man of sin or this false prophet. And, and, uh, and the Antichrist, and, and out comes this triunity of wickedness, and they're going to travel, these demons. And notice what they do. For they are the spirits of demons working miracles that go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world. So what are they doing? Well, these demons go out and convince the nations of the world that they should attack Israel, that they should go against Israel. Now, who's the head of this? It's Antichrist. But the message is, go against Israel. So they gather, and this is, by the way, understand this, this is under God's auspices. This is God leading the whole business. These men are just doing wicked, just like they always do, or, or want to do it, at least. And they're doing wickedness, and yet God is leading them. God's putting a string on them, if you will, and pulling them to Jerusalem. Notice what it says in verse 14. For they are the spirits of demons working miracles that go forth to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the, the great day of God Almighty. See, this is God's battle. This is God's might. This is God's fight. And behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together unto a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon or the Valley of Megiddo. So the nations of the world are going to attack Jerusalem. They'll be all over Jerusalem, but particularly they'll be centered in this Valley of Armageddon. It's north of Jerusalem. It's south of the, um, south of the Sea of Galilee, and it runs basically from Hermon in that area all the way down, all the way down into what we know to be the uh, Jordan River. 
of an incredible place, the Jezreel Valley, or the Valley of Megiddo is what we know. So what's going to happen? Well, God's bringing them. Demons are, 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 are working in these people, and God's bringing them. You know, God uses demons. kind of interesting. Remember when he wanted to shut the door on Ahab? There was a council in heaven. Micaiah saw it. Who's going who's gonna to convince Ahab to go to Ramoth Gilead? Remember, Ahab has a date with an arrow at Ramoth Gilead. And one person said this, and another said this, and then a demon said, I will be a false witness in the mouth of his prophets. And God said, you'll convince them. Go do it. God uses demonic powers to accomplish his perfect will. He doesn't sanction them. He's not pleased with them. He doesn't bless them. But he uses them according to his perfect will. So now God sanctions this to bring this group. Now we're going to look at the actual event. Turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 19. This is the cup of trembling that's at Jerusalem. Jerusalem is nearly overtaken. Nearly overtaken. And we pick it up in Revelation chapter 19. Look, please, at verse 11 for a moment. You know this passage well. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head, on his head were many crowns, and he had a name that was written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed, this is a mysterious verse, he was clothed with a vesture, literally his clothing, his cloak, his outer garment. He is clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. He's the King of Kings, he's God Almighty, as you continue on and see that. But he's this blood on his clothing when he comes. It's a mysterious passage. Now, this is one of the few times, in, to my knowledge, one of the few, and there are a couple, but this is one of the few times that an Old Testament par passage clarifies a New Testament passage. This is one of the few times. Usually, the New Testament passages clarify an Old Testament passage for us. But in this case, an Old Testament passage will clarify this New Testament passage. And to know that, turn with me, please, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 63. Remember, Isaiah talked about the coming of Mashiach, a Messiah. In Isaiah, chapter 63, we have a reading of this Messiah. And this is the day of the Lord, when Messiah will come, the day of vengeance, if you would. And we read in Isaiah, chapter 63, look at verse 1 with me. Who is this that cometh from Edom? Now, Edom is in the southern part of the land. If you were to look at a map, you'd see the Dead Sea. And you have uh, Moab, Edom. Uh, remember when Moses went in to take the land back, they went up what we would know is the eastern side of the Dead Sea. They were at Kadesh Barnea. They refused to go in, so they wandered for 40 years down in the south. Now, they're coming up the eastern side of the Dead Sea, and eventually, they'll get up to the place where Moses dies in the mountains up there, the mountains of Moab. From there, Joshua takes the army back across into Jerusalem, remember, to attack 
in Jerusalem. But Edom, Moab, Edom, and Bozrah, they're all in that area, the southern part of the Dead Sea. I want you to know there's nothing there. If you were to travel there today, you wouldn't believe it. It's a desert. It's a plain. It's so hot that hundreds of millions of gallons run down the Jordan River into the Dead Sea, and there's no place for it to go. It stays there and evaporates. 1,300 feet below sea level. The salt is something like a mile thick there. Incredible when you think about it. There's potassium potash there. It's a, it's a miraculous place. That's where they mine salt from the Dead Sea. It's an amazing, amazing place. But down in that area, God says, Messiah's going to come. He's going to come from that area. Who is this that comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This, uh, this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I whom speak righteousness, mighty to save. You'll see in the reference, Messiah. Verse 2. The question is, why art thou red in thine apparel, thy garments like him that treads out a wine press? Now, I've, I've seen people on television treading wine presses. Do you, do you ever see them? I mean, that, that should sway you off wine forever. You know, <laughs> bare feet in there stomping on grapes, and that was a custom. But uh, when someone would tread on grapes, you can imagine the grapes would burst and spit and put the color on, on your garment. Why, why are you doing that? Why are you all red in your garment? Verse 3. I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the peoples there was none with me, for I have tread them in mine anger and trampled them in my fury, and their blood shall sprinkle upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. Verse 4, for the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. I looked, and there was none to help me, and I wondered, and there was none to uphold. Therefore, mine own army brought my own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury is upheld. And I will tread down the peoples in mine anger and make them drunk in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. God's just going to destroy those nations right there in the valley of Megiddo. But first, he, he heads to Basra. Now, how does all this happen? Well, Go back with me, please, to the book of the Revelation once again. Back to the book of the Revelation once again. So we come down with the Lord. This is wonderful. We've been translated for a seven-year period of time. We're in heaven and we're judged for reward. We're not judged for sin. That's been taken care of. But 1 Corinthians tells us um, that we have been judged for our reward. Wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, precious stones. There's a, a an appearance in, in the book of 1 Corinthians and several other passages of scriptures that indicate that we'll be given reward according to our service for the Lord. It's not salvation that's taken care of, that's paid for, but what we did for our works after we were saved, what we did, we're giving a reward. It's not, again, it's not salvation. You're not saved by works, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but Rewards are given to faithfulness. There are some rewards we're all going to get. But there's others that only those who serve 
will get. And I'm not talking about serving in a capacity like, oh boy, you're in the ministry, you're going to get a, a thousand rewards and, and this guy out here, he's going to get a million because he had a big giant church. No, no. Each individual is going to be given a reward based upon their own faithfulness. Okay? So, but when we come down with the Lord and when we come down, there's going to be a slaughter. There's going to be a battle. It's already taken place, right? His vestures dipped with blood, verse 13, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped with blood. So on the way down, he swings, if I can use these generic terms, he swings through the south of the land of Israel, and he destroys armies in the south of the land of Israel. And, of course, they're splattered upon him as he destroys them. How does he do it? Well, we're going to see he... He destroys them with the brightness of his coming. It's, it's in my, to my thinking, it's obviously his spoken word. His spoken word destroys the armies of the world. I don't think he takes a sword and goes in there and hacking armies. That's not the case. Because his sword is the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God. He speaks. Now, again, pick it up there as I uh, continue on. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And with it he should smite the nations and rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads out the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of God Almighty. This is the Lord Jesus the world doesn't want to see. This is the Lord Jesus the world doesn't want to talk about. They'd rather keep him in a cradle. They'd rather keep him a baby. They don't want to hear about this. Why? Because if they do not believe in him as Savior, that he died in their place for their sin, if they don't believe that, they're going to be part of this. Not coming with them, but receiving it. And so there's this judgment that's going to come. And you know, of course, verse 16, and he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And we know him, of course, to be that king. Verse 17, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. This is brutal. Think about that. He calls all of the vultures of the Middle East. He's probably going to have to fly some some more in as well. But he calls for all the vultures of the Middle East to come in and feast on the bodies of these people, these soldiers at Armageddon. Incredible, incredible thought. I don't know if you've ever been to Florida. There's something called turkey vultures down there. Disgusting at best. They're nasty looking and they're even worse. If you, I, I wanted one as a pet. You know, I just, I'd be the only one in... Warwick with a turkey vulture until I found out that they projectile vomit. You know what that means? If you go to grab them, they throw up on you. <clears throat> and they eat dead stuff. Terrible, terrible things. And angels are saying, come. It's going to be time for dinner. Just incredible. Verse 18 that ye may eat flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men. These are the armies, see? 
these are the armies that are coming. And the flesh of horses and then that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and enslaved, both great and small. You know, there's, there's been a great deal of question, what about the horses? If you go back to Ezekiel, what about horses? And some people think, well, that's, that's what we call the, our modern-day Calvary. They, they have uh, tanks, you know, and fast-moving vehicles and all this stuff. But do you know there's a few armies of the world that consider horses an integral part of their, uh, of their uh, weaponry? Horses. Incredible to think about. I know Russia is one of them. has a, a large army of horses I've read about. So there's... The, there are some nations that just have horses and, and when God calls in these through this angel, when he calls in these vultures, he says you're going to have horses and men to eat. Verse 19, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. So the Lord's coming down. Now he's destroyed the He's destroyed Basra first, Edom in that southern area. And now he comes up toward Jerusalem. And as he's coming up to Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem is under great attack. And we won't go there for the sake of time. But if you go to Zechariah, you'll read that uh, God's going to give power to those men that are there in, in uh, Jerusalem to withstand them. They'll, they'll be like David, he said. David was a mighty warrior and, and you know, you can picture David in battle just swinging that axe. And, and here's these, these men that are in Jerusalem, the old men, feeble men, men like me. Can't get out of the way of a cab. Can almost get run over by a cab. Uh, you know, all of a sudden, I'm going to be young again. I'm going to have power again. Why? To fight against these armies. That's what happens to these people in Jerusalem. And they're fighting and they're fighting and they're just barely holding on. And then Messiah comes. And he smites the armies that are gathered in, in uh, Jerusalem and in Armageddon, Megiddo. Verse 20, we win. Verse 20, and the beast was taken with, uh, and, and the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived, um, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Antichrist is grabbed, thrown into the lake of fire. The false prophet is grabbed, thrown into the lake of fire. Well, we're waiting for one more, right? Satan himself. That won't happen for another thousand years. The great millennial kingdom takes place on earth. And Satan is bound for a thousand years. And at the end of that thousand years... He he's released, he deceives those people on earth who, who, uh, who seemingly uh, were born during the uh, great millennial kingdom and rejected Messiah. Those people will, uh, again, form an attack. Satan brings them and tries to form an attack on Jerusalem, and God destroys them with the breath of his mouth. Now, we're almost out of time. Head back with me to the book of Zechariah again, please. Zechariah. And we'll pull this all together the next time we get together. We're all the way back in the um, book of Zechariah in chapter 12. We're in Zechariah chapter 12. 
What's going to happen when God judges, uh, I'm sorry, 14, maybe in the wrong place, 14, when God judges the nations that are gathered at Armageddon and are gathered throughout the entire Middle East, what happens? I don't know how far to take this. All I know is what I read here. Chapter 14, look at verse 12. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord shall smite all the peoples that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall be consumed away while they stand upon their feet. Yow. God's, when God comes and speaks his judgment, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. When he speaks his judgment, these people will literally fall apart. Their eyes shall be consumed away in their holes, and their tongue shall be consumed away in their mouth. That is the battle of Armageddon. That is incredible. He speaks, and they're instantaneously and miraculously and sovereignly destroyed. Say, what? what? What's this? Do these people have an opportunity to believe? They sure do. But they reject them. They reject the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You may know some people, I certainly know some people, that went to their grave rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. They're in no better shape. No better shape. Now, here's the key. We know some people now that reject the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. We probably ought to talk to them, huh? There's a date coming. There's a day coming when if, if this takes place in our lifetime, they will stand there if they haven't been destroyed in the seven-year tribulation period, but they will stand there and be totally decimated by Messiah. The world doesn't want to think about that, Jesus. My God wouldn't do that. You hear stuff like that? Your God has given you plenty of time to believe. If you reject, that's the judgment that's to come. Incredible. I don't want to, let's sing a happy song or something. <laughs> I don't want to leave you like this, but recognize that's exactly what Zechariah is talking about. He's talking about the end time, Antichrist, the attack on Jerusalem, Messiah comes and destroys the armies of the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, song, this time. Father, as we close out this book of Zechariah, we wonder, we just marvel at uh, what you revealed uh, to us. And Father, as we look at progressive revelation and then back in the book of Isaiah, we, we see Messiah comes with flaming fire to take vengeance on those who have rejected him, who have believed Satan and the lie, and now turn against the very people of God. We pray, Father, you'd help us, help each one of us to recognize as we just kind of pull this book together, to recognize the truth of Scripture. It's written for our learning. It's written for our understanding. Help us to put it together in a right way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.